perhaps start by asking ourselves quite a simple question and uh, I stress it is a question and it's, it's not a statement because if it was a statement <laughs> I would probably end up in a lot of hot water it's a question the question is is God distant is God distant or to put it another way how far away is God now perhaps you realise why I said it's a question and not a statement now this is often the question that comes to our minds or to the minds of many people particularly when things have gone horribly wrong when things have perhaps not turned out the way we'd expect them to David himself in in this psalm he he pens the same question why O Lord do you stand far off why do you hide yourself in times of trouble if this was the question in the mind of, of a man like David then I suggest we can take some comfort from the fact that we too are like him at times he had his doubts at times he had his wobbles but every time he came back to the conclusion that God was in control so let's look at this psalm and straight away we can see we can split it into two halves verses 1 through to verse 11 and then 12 to verse 18 to the end firstly in that first half verses 1 to 11 David complains David complains of the wickedness of the wicked and the depraved level to which the wicked had sunk on top of that he says they dishonoured God they were prejudiced against believers in God and they also showed a total disregard for the poor and David also notes there a delay in God's appearing against the wicked because perhaps he he was perhaps a bit like me or I'm a bit like him you know if you see somebody being wicked you expect God to come and squash them straight away but David's like hang on why God is there a delay in your dealing with the wicked there in verse 1 David discovers he has a deep affection to God and God's favour he wants to be in God's presence he longs to be close to God and thus we, we see his frustration in many ways as he asks God why he's standing far away from the situation I find it interesting that when our outward deliverance from a difficult situation seems a distant reality we think God is far off we think God is a long way away very often it's our attitude that distances us from God not the other way round God is still there it's just our attitude that's made him seem a long way away it's very easy to blame God instead of humbly coming to him for help 
in verse 2 David doesn't vent his personal resentment of the wicked he doesn't get all steamed up he merely makes an observance that they are arrogant he obviously doesn't want to fall into the sin of pride instead he brings it all to God he knows that only God can make the bad better only God can make the bad better and that's still the same case today God, it is only God who can make the bad better the bad can't do something good in order to make themselves better it's God's grace that makes the bad better I'm sure we could compile a long list this morning of people we know or people we've heard of who were once extremely wicked in the eyes of of the law that is to say that the law of the land and those people have had their lives radically changed by the gospel by the love of God by the transforming power of his Holy Spirit and those people are now shining examples of God's grace it is only God who can make the bad better and that is through his grace so how bad were the bad in David's day let's have a look <coughs> excuse me the wicked were guilty of pride ok so that's the first one they were guilty of pride and once that pride grew and grew and grew those thoughts of I'm better than everyone else those thoughts not just turned into I'm better than everyone else but they turned into the persecution of others particularly persecution of those who couldn't fight back they were greedy that's pretty evident it says it there we all know what what greed is it's self explanatory however it's relevant maybe to our current economic climate people wanting what they can't afford but getting it anyway and in David's day they just stole things or robbed from the poor in our day we, we perhaps consider ourselves a bit more civilised you know, we don't go and rob some old age pensioner walking down the road in order to pay the bills I would hope not you're quite safe you, you, you're older folks you're, you're quite safe you're, you know, we, we don't do that anymore they did it in David's day you know, they saw someone poor who couldn't defend themselves the rich would come along and rob them but in our day we consider ourselves more civilised we borrow money from the bank to pay for things that we can't afford things which society tells us through, through its subtle advertising things that it tells us that are things that we need and then what happens when we can't pay it back it all ends up in a bit of a mess so as well as being proud and, and greedy the wicked in David's time 
didn't seek after God. Not only did they not seek God, they didn't even think about him. Then after so long of ignoring God and doing what you like and getting away with it, what happens? The sinful human nature takes a real hold and lack of interest in God is replaced by thoughts that well perhaps there is no God after all because if there was he would have punished me but he's not so therefore there isn't and slowly bit by bit man begins to think that he is in control that he is the master of his own destiny and that he is God with a small g with a small g he has no desire for God no wish to have communion with him he has a wish to have nothing to do with God to have no dependence on him that all leaves the situation where men don't seek God because they think they have no need of him they can rely upon themselves they are self-sufficient they have all they need in many respects it, it leads to the, a similar situation which arose in London just a short time back there you could walk down the street and read posters that said there probably is no God and when you think about it what the designer of those posters didn't realise was that it's safer to say maybe there is a God especially when you have the possibility of an eternity in hell if you're wrong so as you can see the wicked were quite bad in fact we can say the wicked were wicked otherwise it just said the bad but it's, it's the wicked the wicked were wicked but we're only down to verse 4 Okay, so you thought all that was bad it gets a lot worse what else does David say about the wicked in verses 5 all the way down to 11 all they do seems to prosper and flourish they're lawless they're beyond the law we might even say they were a law unto themselves they did whatever they pleased seems that they bent the rules they, they made them up as they went along just to please themselves but the important thing was that the laws of God were far from them. the laws of God had no place in their lives they were far from their hearts I wonder does that sound similar to today does that sound familiar the laws of God were far from them. you look at our own nation if you're from the states you look at your own nation you're in the states you can see so many things happen you think there are so many men and women who live their lives totally far far away from the laws of God always just doing things their way for their pleasure for the things that they want the laws of God were far from them 
It reminds me of um, an email somebody sent to me at the beginning this week. And uh, then I, I read it again on um, the Christian Institute sent it to us um, just a couple of days ago. Some of you might have heard about it. It's about a um, 42-year-old Baptist preacher from Cumbria up in the Lake District called Dale McAlpine. Anybody heard this story? No? Oh, well. It's a first. You heard it here. Good that. Anyway, seriously, he was on a street corner, okay, giving an open-air address, a bit like Brother George does in Cambridge. Okay, he was actually he was apparently standing on a, on a step ladder. Okay, so you see it up above the crowd. And he was giving an address, an open air address, and a woman asked him. I think he was talking about the the Ten Commandments or something like that, as far as I can remember. Or anyway, something about the, the laws of of God and, and what it says in the Bible, what we should and shouldn't do. And a woman asked him what he thought about homosexuality can't even say it, homosexuality. And he told her that the Bible clearly stated that it was a sin. Anyway, she went off and a police officer went across to her and uh, she told him what had happened. So then the police officer went over to to Mr McAlpine and uh, he asked the preacher the same question. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't agree with you. And Mr. McAlpine quite politely said, well, you may not agree with me, but it's still a sin. It says it in the Bible. A few minutes later, three other police officers turn up and arrest the preacher and put him in the back of a police van and drive him off. And it turns out that the, uh, that first officer was the... Uh, gay, lesbian and transsexual liaison officer now we may read the Bible and think that all that went on a few thousand years ago has very little bearing on our own lives but when you read a psalm like this you see that little has changed today the laws of God are still far from men's hearts. And sadly, it's not just in men's hearts. Those things, those things which the devil has got hold of, he's taken from men's hearts and caused men to push things so hard that they actually become part of the laws of our own land. Remember, Mr. McAlpine, in your prayers, please. Moving on. The wicked of David's day were obstinate. They wouldn't listen to the voice of reason. They always assumed that they knew best. They were confident in their continued prosperity. They thought, yes, nothing can touch us. We're a cut above the rest. We know what we're doing. It probably never crossed their minds that one day God would judge them they were pleased with themselves they could look around at all they'd gained by their persecution of others and smile with pride and say to themselves look what I've done 
look what we've done they could pat each other on the back and say aren't we brilliant aren't we great they were so pleased with themselves that they began to think that they were near invincible that adversity would never touch them I suppose looking at it slightly humorously you could say they were not unlike an MP who's been fiddling his expenses now he thought no one will ever touch me I can just sort of you know add a little bit here and add a little bit there take that away from somebody else and no one will ever know it's like these people who sometimes sometimes end up in in prison because they've hacked into people's accounts and they just take a penny off everybody's accounts and nobody really notices but of course you do that to enough um, uh, you know enough people for several thousand people then over a few weeks the sum of money that you're accruing in your account is going up and up and up but nobody else is sort of taking much notice it's a similar thing here they thought no one's noticing we can get away with whatever we like they were malicious they were false they were smooth talking liars not a very pretty picture at all and if you thought that was enough about the wickedness of the wicked David tells us the sorry fact that the wicked robbed the poor in secret when no one was looking so they could carry on with their lifestyle the powerful ought to protect the poor and the innocent instead they oppressed them they used false meekness to attract the weak to themselves and then they robbed them in secret David here he he uses there in verse 9 he uses a picture of a lion lying in wait for its prey and then it strikes and overpowers its prey and drags it off that's what the the, um, wicked were doing to the poor when we look into the wickedness of the wicked we can perhaps begin to understand David's questioning of God as to why it appears God is so far far away why God is so far off but as we get to to verse 12 it seems David has has said his piece about the wicked he's got it all off his chest and now he turns to God directly he prays that God would appear against the wicked for the relief of his people and he comforts himself with the hope that God would act in due time so in the few minutes we've got left let's just look at in a little more detail at David's address to God straight away we see that David is very direct with God he's almost accusing God of doing nothing he's very direct but nevertheless David prays that God would appear that he would manifest his power lift up his hand and scatter all the wicked like a a flock of sparrows 
He prays that God would appear for his people, those who were afflicted, those who were oppressed. He prays that God would prove them all wrong because the oppressed thought God had forgotten them and the oppressors thought God wasn't watching. Let me say that again. The oppressed thought God had forgotten them and the oppressors thought God wasn't watching. And David says, Prove them both wrong, Lord. Destroy the plans of the wicked, but lift the fallen, lift the oppressed. In verse 15 he prays that the wicked would be disabled. A bit nasty in some ways. That the wicked would have his arms broken. Strong stuff, isn't it? We don't get that in many prayer meetings today. Do you? you know, oh dear Lord, you know, this, this, this person's clearly bad. You break their arms, Lord, you know. Yeah, it's pretty strong stuff. But it was from David's heart. I've lost my place now, I said all that. Yes, in verse 15 he does. He, he, he comes out with that really strong statement of breaking the arms of the wicked. But David wants to see all the power of the wicked taken away. But not necessarily the total destruction of the wicked themselves. Just their power. He only wants, figuratively speaking, to have their arms broken. He doesn't ask God to chop off their heads. You know? You can break somebody's arm and they'll still be alive. But obviously if you remove their head, they're dead, aren't they? It's a bit gruesome to think about, but it's true. That's the similar sort of thing what David's saying here. There is one very good reason for this, in that the wicked themselves may come to their senses and have time to repent. If you destroy somebody, then they have no time, no chance of ever repenting. However, if you cause them to feel uncomfortable, I don't suggest you go around breaking people's arms, but if somebody feels uncomfortable, then God can begin to work in their hearts and it gives them time to repent. David also prays for encouragement in his own faith. He asks, are the wicked foolish enough to think they'll not be brought to account for their evil? God sees and knows it all. After all, he's the omnipresent one. He's everywhere. He he sees everything. David also pleads for the oppressed as they look to God for their protection. Then in verse 16, David really begins to praise God like we praise God here this morning. He recognises that he is a great God, a king forever and ever, and therefore, the office of a king is to what? Is to administer justice. Yes, God is a good God. He is the father of the fatherless. As he reminds us there in verse 14. 
says you are the helper of the fatherless he has appointed kings to defend the poor and the fatherless in Psalm 68 God is described as father to the fatherless says this sing to God sing praise to his name extol him who rides on the clouds his name is the Lord and rejoice before him and then it says a father to the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling God sets the lonely in families he leads forth the prisoners with singing but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Just think about that. He who rides on the clouds, you know, God who rides on the clouds, who made everything we see around us, he is a father to the fatherless. That is such a beautiful picture of the care of God a being so awesome yet he stoops down to care for his creation he reaches out and he holds the fatherless and the orphan he defends the cause of widows who have no one else to look out for them God in heaven cares for his creation so much that he sets us in families where we may care for each other and not just families as in flesh and blood families but he sets us in his family within the church like we're here this morning we are all in God's family if we know him this morning here this morning if we've put our faith in him we should be the best example of family there is the family of Christ yet at times sadly that's far from the reality but theoretically if it all worked out just as God wants it to work out and if we all loved each other as we're supposed to love each other then we should be able to go into any Bible believing church in this land of any denomination and feel at home amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ that is God's desire but sadly it's not yet fully a reality but finally David ends the psalm with a sense of peaceful assurance doesn't he verses 17 and 18 say this you hear O Lord the desire of the afflicted you encourage them and you listen to their cry defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more notice there man who is of the earth if we know and love God 
then we have a father who rides on the clouds who holds the world in the palm of his hand why should we fear mere men who are of the earth who are created from dust God you are in control you have given us all the answer to our question that question we asked at the very beginning you hear you listen you encourage you defend you see all that is going on all that's going on in our country all around the world and you will act at the appointed hour God is not far off he is with us he is with us we are his people we are a family together in Christ and if God is for us no one no one can be against us